Hello, you're listening to Deathbed Discs with your host, Jada Robles. On this podcast, I ask my guests to bring five songs that they want played at their funeral. In 2018, three people very close to me died in the space of eight months, and it changed my perspective on grief and death forever. It opened my eyes to the often sad, strange, and sometimes even a little bit funny world of both death and grief, and how important it is to talk openly about it. And what better way to talk about it than through music? Today, I'm joined by the amazing Poppy Chancellor, an illustrator and paper cut artist who also runs a hugely popular Instagram account, Griefcase. I'm so delighted to get to chat to you today. Poppy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. I'm really excited to get to talk to you. I've been following your work for a while, both your paper cut illustrations and your artist work and also the Griefcase account which is so beautiful and so inspirational and so helpful. Um, So thank you for setting that up. I guess, first of all, I wanted to ask you, Poppy, have you ever thought about your funeral before? Yes, I have thought about my funeral before. I, um, I actually, since I lost my dad, I have been more obsessive about other loved ones' funerals rather than my own specifically. So my mum's funeral, I've been thinking about that a lot and kind of worrying like, mum, one day it's going to happen, help. And she's like, Poppy, you need to relax. You know, we're never ready for these things. It's like a thing that I really wanted to be ready the next time that this happened to me. And um, I think that's where the kind of uh, funeral obsession kind of began was I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted to be ready for it. And I wanted people to know um, I didn't want anyone to fall out about it because I know that families go, oh, they wanted this. They wanted this. And then they don't speak to Mm. each other for 20 years. So um, I kind of wanted to avoid that with my own death and funeral by writing a death plan um which is something I've been advised to do by kind of end of life um uh workers and carers who um kind of just say write down what you want like take charge of it it's Mm. it's a celebration of you and if there is any way that this planning might make you feel a little bit more at ease um, with the idea of the end, um, which apparently it really does. And I, um, I have found that kind of just looking into what I would like, there are lots of things that I didn't really know until I thought about what I might like. And then I was like, no, I really would like that. And, um, it's maybe just even the thinking about it, it was kind of there all the time, but we don't have those Mm. thoughts or conversations very often. So do you, would you consider yourself to be ready then now? No, I, I don't think I'm ready at all um, to die. Um, but I think at least there are a few logistics that people won't have to wonder about. And if I can take 
some pressure off um, mm. the people around me and in my kind of immediate, um, you know, loving circle um, that I can say, look, I want to be buried wearing this. I want this kind of coffin. I don't want to be embalmed. All of these little things that I hadn't really... Poppy, you're like the best, you're like the best guess for deathbed discs. Do you know that? Like literally <laughs> all of the questions. <laughs> oh my God. No, but Couldn't I, um, be better. But I, I guess after like, after you lose a loved one, for me, it became mm. an obsession. I, d- I didn't know that you didn't have to be embalmed. I didn't know that was an option. I didn't know that a lot of people consider it quite toxic and invasive. I didn't know there were, there's a woman who's developed a mushroom suit um, that takes away all of your toxins that you can wear as a burial suit that is apparently the most kind of like, she did a TED talk, you should definitely look it up. It's it's amazing. Mushroom burial suit. (laughs) Oh my God, that is, I don't know how much it is. I don't know how much the burial suit is, but just like, I guess... If you're somebody who's quite specific, and maybe I'm a bit of a perfectionist in life, in my work, um, I really like to be prepared for things. And when you just lose someone, it really is like the rug is pulled out from you and you're really grabbing at everything around you to kind of, how can I get up from this, you know, Mm. surreal fall that I've taken as the carpet has been pulled out? And for me, that was kind of knowledge, um, you know, what, what are death rituals in other places? What might be helpful? Yeah. And um, so I, I have thought about it. Yes. <laughs> it's funny that, cause it is true. Like when, you know, I think that a lot of people, I think this would be the case for a lot of people that perhaps, you know, we don't consider these things until this happens. Yeah. I wonder as someone who has truly become a pioneer in the grief space in terms of like offering help and advice, um, you know, with your work, who did you turn to when you lost your dad? Or what did you turn to? Um, I turned to denial and I turned to pretending nothing happened. <laughs> um, wow. No, seriously, I, um, mm. my dad died and then I didn't talk about it for three years. Um, I was very busy with my work at the time. I was like releasing a book and I really lost myself in a world that I was comfortable with, in a world that I knew and understood, which for me was kind of, um, you know, being exhausted, slightly panicked, you know, okay, I got to do this, I got to do this. I stayed busy, really. And um, luckily, because I enjoy my work and um, I get to be creative there, I kind of just went back to a very familiar kind of head down working space. Mm. Um, I remember saying to my sister, um, like, are you, do you feel anything? Like, are you sad that dad, like, do you feel anything? She was like, yeah, of course I do. I said, I don't feel anything. And she was like, okay, right. And it just showed how different our losses were. Our reactions to the loss were totally different. I just couldn't believe that I was kind of like smashing it. I was fine. And um, obviously that I wasn't fine. It was just my ability to function in the face of shock. Yeah, um, and high stress and trauma, but just pushing through it. And and maybe that was something I was used to or good at. And um, suddenly, three years down the line, you know, the cloud descended and and the the skies opened on me and I realised, oh my God, welcome grief, hello. (laughs) What, What was that? What was that moment? 
I think it was um, feelings of depression, feelings of um, a lack of confidence in my work, in my relationships, in my friendships. I just felt after having not felt grounded, but I think I felt quite strong in, in the surreal place of this hasn't happened. And then as the reality started to gradually seep in, I just felt my kind of defences falling away one by one. And I mm. felt quite, I've never had depression, but I felt just low and heavy and ill and um, just like I was about to cry really at, at any given moment. And um quite angry and and short-tempered with people and there was a voice in the back of my head saying like your dad did die this isn't nothing mm. like the logical part of my brain was saying you have been through a trauma but the other part of my brain was so desperate to just carry on and keep my head down and keep kind of surviving in that way but um I knew that that couldn't kind of continue unless I was going to have a serious breakdown. Yeah. Wow. It's just, it's so interesting to hear the kind of the story of three years and then suddenly that pivotal moment of realizing that, oh, actually like things aren't okay. And actually I've just been functioning on high amounts of stress and just plowing through it. Um, I know that like, for example, for me, for example, even sort of away from death and grief, but I've had a similar situation just recently of I feel like it's when we come out of these moments of stress and then sit down and you're like, oh my God, this actually happened and this is actually happening. Also delayed reactions and grief are, you know, often and because we're not taught how to grieve or what we should be doing, it's kind of difficult to teach, but I guess because we don't talk openly about it, it makes these processes so difficult after because we don't know what to expect. Yeah, and I think because I... I thought I was grieving. I thought I was just doing really well at it. I was like, I don't really feel mm. that sad. Like I get what's happened, but, um, you know, I'm just carrying on and like, good for me. Um, I didn't realize that there was going to be something much more visceral, something much more kind of chemical that was going to mm. come and kind of take so away. So animal as well, right? Like, yeah, I'm, it's just such an animal instinct as well. And I think, um, you know, with, with the loss of a parent or a parental figure, there's so much of your identity tied up in that. Mm. And I think with the loss of confidence or not knowing where I was going with my work and things like that, I realised like half of what had defined me, you know, who my dad was, uh, you know, how he was in the world, what his, you know, he was a poet and a creative person. And so much of my creative permission came from him. So when that was no longer there and it kind of hit me that that was no longer there I felt so lost so um mm. that was quite a difficult uh, road to to walk down wow I feel like in the first five minutes we've already like uncovered so many good things um <laughs> and I can't wait to unpack them but I am really also very excited to hear what your first song is that you mm -hmm. want played at your funeral Okay. So please, can you tell me why you've chosen it? And then we're going to go back to some other points. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so I, I've done it um, as if this is the funeral. So yeah. the first song is what I'm coming into. So we've got okay. the coffin, we've got the pool bearers, and we've got a little bit of choreography. So 
Um, what coffin do we have, Poppy? Because I, for the first time, um, when my mum's um, friend passed away, I saw like a like a cardboard coffin. Oh, you yes. can have like corrugated card and like all sorts. So, what what coffin would it be? I I love I love the cardboard coffin. That was a that was a big one that I just thought. Um, I love that's what my dad had and everybody got Sharpies at the end of the funeral and wrote messages. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, all over the coffin. And um, sadly, I didn't take any pictures, but a few people have um, kind of over time sent me a few photos that they took. And just to see like everybody's notes, <sighs> mm. like see you on the other side. Yeah. And, oh um, my God, I really love that. And my younger sister, who was eight at the time, just spent the whole kind of after session, just kind of, I mean, it was so sad. She was like, I miss my daddy, like on this oh. coffee. I was like, oh my God, I can't deal with that. Um, but <laughs> I did love that aspect of kind of, le- you know, you're almost signing off with that person. You're leaving them that final message and and that they're all kind of overlaid over each other it feels very Mm. kind of celebratory um I think for my coffin I've seen a wonderful coffin uh Somerset Willow um it's it's a rainbow I love how specific this episode is (laughs) colored willow coffin so yes. it's got like yes. all of these beautiful diagonal woven colored, you know, reeds of willow. Beautiful. And I just thought that is stunning. But then I go back and forth, like, do I just want it all black with just flowers? So, you know, <laughs> I love the drama. I love colors. So it's going to be something great. I've given, there are options in my death plan for them to choose from. Amazing. And the song? The song is Nina Simone. Um, feeling good. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me. And I'm feeling good. Fish in the sea, you know how I feel. River running free, you know how I feel. Blossom on the tree, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me. And I'm feeling good. Oh, I was enjoying that so much. I love that. It's, I just love the lyrics of like, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new mm. life. It's, it's very, I feel like it's just quite spiritual in a way, really confident. Her voice is so deep and raw. Like for me, if I was going to walk into a room, that is the song I'd want kind of like coming behind me. So, um, Poppy, as an artist and, you know, master of a beautiful craft of uh, paper craft, how did you use your art to process your grief and, and the death of your father? 
Oh God! Um, Massive question. It's a really. We're, really, we're here to ask a big question. It's a big question, and it's probably like the most relevant uh, question for me. Um, I guess as a creative person, you draw on yeah on what's around you, on how you're feeling. You know the inspirations of your world and your day to day, and um, as a paper cut artist. I had become known for kind of very celebratory work, um, work that was, um, you know, had quite a confidence to it or a sense of humour about it. And um, when my dad died, I just, again, like I said, I carried on on that path for a while. And then as the grief um, was seeping in, I just couldn't make that work anymore. I couldn't do it. Mm. Um, And it was weird. Did you stop? I, I definitely had like a block. Um, I, I can't really stop because I have to pay. I have to pay the bills. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't work that I yeah. was um, pleased with or felt yeah. kind of deeply meaningful. And I felt very unsatisfied um, in my creative process yeah. because I was so ashamed to tell people what was actually happening underneath this. Um, image that I guess my work portrayed which was like you can do it like good for you (laughs) kind of this um confident kind of positive way of being that had come very easily to me um throughout my life and suddenly I couldn't access the thing that I enjoyed giving to people which like made them feel good I didn't have access to that anymore yeah because it's like like what I actually want to talk about is how sad and depressed I am but you've built up this image that these expectations that people expect of you. Mm. And I, I didn't really realise I, I had done that or put that in place. It was just, it was genuinely what came easily to me was was these kind of celebratory um, images. And um, I just thought, oh my God, I, I can't, I can't carry on like this. Mm. I have to acknowledge, because at this time I hadn't actually acknowledged to myself what I had happened or what I was going through. So um, my sisters and I said, oh my God, we're in the dead dad club, help. Um, And my other sister was like, well, at least we're in it together, like dead dad club. And we'd kind of say it to each other as like a little joke and be like, oh, hey, dead dad club. Um, (laughs) And um, I thought, oh my God, I'm I'm just going to make a paper cut of that and make us like a little logo um and just kind of see what comes out of me like that was the only thing that had brought me a bit of joy in the kind of conversations we'd been having around dad dying and so I made a paper cut that said dead dad club and I wrote this like caption saying like I'm acknowledging like what's happened to me this thing has happened to me I'm gonna I'm gonna start talking about it um and I've been a member of this club since 2016 Mm. and literally what happened after I was so anxious like pressing the share button I'm like everyone's gonna think I want um you know I want them to like feel sorry for me everyone's gonna think I'm like attention seeking blah 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 and actually what happened was people just being like me too me too me too Mm. like member since 20 you know 2007 member since 1980 like and all of this Stuff. All it needed was you to open up that level of communication and I, like open I gave, up that safe space. Yeah, I gave the kind of 
people that followed my work permission to see me as something other than just this kind of morale boosting uh, artist or whatever it was I was maybe seen as before. And there was this permission to kind of talk about all of those other edges of, of who I was and what I was going through. And that was when I first discovered the grief community online. I had lots of messages about, have you listened to this podcast? Have you read this book? Have you seen these Instagram accounts? And and I had no idea that it existed until I put that into a space that kind of started the conversation. And it is a, it's a massive community, but in a sad way, I feel like you have to go through it in order to be in it. But also, I don't know, because it's funny because when I went through all of this, it took me as well, like a while as well to kind of get into it. But once you open the doors, it's it's vast. There's so many people out there talking about this, actually, really. Mm. It's about how do we get those conversations a little bit. You know, you and I were discussing this the other day, like how do you get these conversations out to people who may not have been going through it, mm. um, who, who may not have been through the same thing as us, you know. Yeah. Um, I picked up on something you mentioned before uh, you mentioned the the dead dad club. Um, I've been having a lot of thoughts recently actually about language and how we use language to talk about death and grief. And this came up on another episode as well with um, the lovely Rachel Wilson from the grief network. And um, we were talking about how um, like when it comes to like cancer or uh, the illnesses we look, we talk a lot about um, like battling and this kind of like war connotation. Um, and re- just recently, um, Sarah Harding, who just passed away last week, bless her. Um, and there was a post about her and it was all about her battle with cancer. I saw that, and, yeah. And it really hit me because I was like, oh, like I hate, as, as Rachel said, like I hate to think of her as having lost. Mm. And... Um, yeah. The Dead Dad Club really was just a prompt for this conversation because it's not a bad way of explaining it, but it just made me think of this. Um, but I feel like it's, we don't realize how powerful words are when we talk about these topics. And I hate to think of Sarah Harding as someone who lost a battle the same way. I don't want to think of my stepfather mm. as um, having lost his battle to cancer. Yeah. Um I don't know how yet how to like solve that. Um, but I almost wish I could just write in and, and say, don't use the word battle because you're enforcing this idea that mm. um, that we're at war with this illness and we're not at war with this illness. Um, like it's not a war. Um, you know, war is a very different thing. Um, this is an illness and, you know, all of these other things. And, and yeah, it just made me made me think a lot and that seeing that post the other day made me think a lot I wonder what what you thought about that as well yeah I think um it's almost it's again it's this thing where people become saints after they die as well so not being able to talk ill of the dead like um you know they valiantly battled yeah, that, that's this so thing. True, and I'm like actually, my yeah. dad wasn't valiant my dad was in agony yeah. my dad it battled my dad. It beat him down until he died. Like, mm. there was no, like, the thing about death and getting ill to the point where you die is there isn't a lot of valiance in it. There's a lot of tenderness. There's mm. the, and love and there should and like, be. And, and that's what it's about. And softness and tears and, like, silence. The, 
I get that, you know, it makes people feel we're so afraid of being weak. Mm. We, we just always have to be strong, strong, strong. I know that myself. That's literally something that I did. But there's nothing wrong with saying this person was was ravaged by something really painful and it was hard. And people around them were in agony, like, tell it like it is. This wasn't somebody who valiantly went into battle and put their wrist to their forehead and gently fell to the ground. Like, the reality of death is is really brutal, but in a very intimate way. This is is the way I experienced it. I understand if um, you die in an accident or in a traumatic circumstance, that's a different thing. I'm just talking from my experience was that it was it was long, it was intimate, and I wouldn't describe it as a battle in any way. He he um, a lot of his language was I'm ready. Mm. I'm ready, I'm tired. I want to take this coat off of my yeah. body. I want to I want to, you know, I'm ready. That to me is actually more powerful than battling against something that is inevitable, which is that your life is going to end and we can't do anything more for you. For me to watch my dad say to the sky, I'm ready, come on. I was so proud of him. Yeah. I was like, it takes takes so much courage to do that as um, well. I couldn't imagine saying, come on, I'm ready. Like that to me was so intimate and beautiful and I just think our language around we're going to beat this and we're going to battle this. And I think that also feeds into, you know, wanting to give people as much um, medication and as much, absolutely, um, you know, to save them, save them, save them. And actually, when you ask people, sometimes they're like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, I'm in too much oh God, pain. Yeah. I'm too tired. Please don't do another operation, please don't do another, you know, when we actually have those conversations, um, it's actually relinquishing control and just kind of being with that it's the end. Um, yeah. And I think that's where the battle mentality is so inbuilt in us is mm. we do not want to admit that we are powerless against the end of life. So Poppy, Please tell me what your second choice is and why you've chosen it as one of your funeral songs. Ah, okay. So this is Baz Luhrmann, Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen. It's like a... What a name. It's it's a spoken word um, song that is giving you life advice. I read it at a wedding once and I just thought, God, this is so brilliant. You could read this at a funeral. It's kind of just telling you how to see your life, be easy on yourself. And one of the main things is like, don't forget to wear sunscreen. (laughs) I love it. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists Whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. Enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. Never mind. 
You will not understand the power and beauty of your youth until they've faded. But trust me, in 20 years, you look back at photos of yourself and recall in a way you can't grasp now how much possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked. You are not as fat as you imagine. Don't worry about the future, or worry, but know that worrying is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. The real troubles in your life are apt to be things that never crossed your worried mind, the kind that blindsides you at 4 p.m. on some idle Tuesday. Do one thing every day that scares you. Sing. Don't be reckless with other people's hearts. Don't put up with people who are reckless with yours. Floss. Don't waste your time on jealousy. Sometimes you're ahead, sometimes you're behind. The race is long, and in the end, it's only with yourself. Remember compliments you receive. Forget the insults. If you succeed in doing this, tell me how. Keep your old love letters. Throw away your old bank statements. Stretch. Don't feel guilty if you don't know what you want to do with your life. The most interesting people I know didn't know at 22 what they wanted to do with their lives. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't. Get plenty of calcium. Be kind to your knees. You'll miss them when they're gone. Maybe you'll marry. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll have children, maybe you won't. Maybe you'll divorce at 40. Maybe you'll dance the funky chicken on your 75th wedding anniversary. Whatever you do, don't congratulate yourself too much or berate yourself either. Your choices are half chance. So are everybody else's. Enjoy your body. Use it every way you can. Don't be afraid of it or what other people think of it. It's the greatest instrument you'll ever own. Dance. Even if you have nowhere to do it but in your own living room. Read the directions, even if you don't follow them. Do not read beauty magazines. They will only make you feel ugly. Get to know your parents. You never know when they'll be gone for good. Be nice to your siblings. They're your best link to your past and the people most likely to stick with you in the future. Understand that friends come and go, but with a precious few, you should hold on. Work hard to bridge the gaps in geography and lifestyle, because the older you get, the more you need the people you knew when you were young. Live in New York City once, but leave before it makes you hard. Live in Northern California once, but leave before it makes you soft. Travel. Accept certain inalienable truths. Prices will rise, politicians will philander, you too will get old. And when you do, you'll fantasize that when you were young, prices were reasonable, politicians were noble, and children respected their elders. Respect your elders. Don't expect anyone else to support you. Maybe you have a trust fund. Maybe you'll have a wealthy spouse. You never know when either one might run out. Don't mess too much with your hair, or by the time you're 40, it will look 85. 
Be careful whose advice you buy, but be patient with those who supply it. Advice is a form of nostalgia. Dispensing it is a way of fishing the past from the disposal, wiping it off, painting over the ugly parts, and recycling it for more than it's worth. But trust me, I'm the sunscreen. I'd forgotten about that gem of a piece of work of art. It's, a, it's work a piece of art. Of art. <laughs> it really is a work of art. It's such a great one. It's a it's such a great wedding speech. It's a really I kind of edited it to make it more relevant for for the couple that I read it for. Yeah, because you don't want the bit about like uh, maybe you'll get married, maybe, maybe you, you won't. won't. <laughs> You're like you did get married. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you'll be happy. Yeah. Maybe you won't. Um, <laughs> But I just think it's nice to have, um, I love those things that mix something that has like deep meaning. I feel like that recording could make me cry and smile at the same time. Absolutely. And I love those mixture of, of the two things. So I love that. Hello. This week's episode has been sponsored by Aura, a platform run by my good friend Dave and his dad. Together, they're trying to normalise conversations around death and grief by giving people the opportunity to plan and organise their end of life together with their loved ones. Basically, you can use Aura to store and share your end of life wishes, funeral plans, including songs, of course, and some other really important bits related to both life and death. It really is quite something, so if you have a moment, check them out at www.aura.life. Right, now back to the show. Um, so, what are we eating at Poppy Chancellor's Wake? I reckon all bets are off on the diet front. Well, Baz Luhrmann just told us never to think about diets because it's all a fad anyway, so... Oh, well, there we go! I agree. I think... That's a uh, great, like, way into it, isn't it? We're just segueing <laughs> in there. Um, I just think, um, for me, food is comforting, it's like a warm embrace around you. So um, I would love there to be cakes, you know, hot chocolates, sandwiches, like just very simple, beautiful, comforting food Mm. where, I mean, I've been to a funeral where everybody bought a dish of food. um, And that was really lovely because I've never been to a funeral like that. Yeah, it was it was just because everyone bought their dish, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, that's such a beautiful way of like bringing yourself to, to, to something like that as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a lovely idea. And you could say to people like, oh, my God, your mum's chicken is delicious or, mm-hmm. or what. So it was kind of a way of nourishing each other and bringing yourself to to that memory and and it's it's very communal it, it's not formal so anything like that i would i would like there to be kind of comfort and community in in the food that we have and that would be beside the black coffin with flowers cardboard flowers everywhere and a white sharpie oh who that's a really good idea like the chalk sharpie yes <laughs> yes girl um yeah exactly exactly um, I just think there's so there's so many things that when you think about it, of course we have an opinion on them, but if we've never asked ourselves, like, mm. how, you know, what songs would you like at your funeral or what food or 
coffin would you like? What would you like to be dressed in? All of these things. Um, I think once you allow yourself to think about it and you get past the fact that like, oh my God, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. It becomes something you can actually like play with and and get as creative. I find it so like invigorating. Like I find the whole thing, it's funny, like um, I've, as you know, I've trained to be a soul midwife and a lot of people will often say to me, oh, like, what do you mean? Like, that sounds like the worst thing you could do, like working with dead people. And, and then when I say that I do the podcast, they're like, oh, you've got a really unhealthy obsession with death. Like it's, you, maybe you should go and like have that like checked out. And I always say like, I honestly find it the most life affirming conversations, like the most life affirming work. Like I love talking about it. And I love, as you say, even getting a bit playful with it and, um, using humor respectfully, obviously, but using humor in a way which can, um, so when we can talk about these things, cause I think that, um, it scares people a lot and, and I actually find it so freeing to, to, to discuss these things like we are now. And I think once you realize that death is just a part of life, people thinking that you're obsessed with death or that, oh, how morbid it's like, well, for me, celebrating someone I love is not morbid. Yeah. Um, for me, thinking about how I can make somebody comfortable at the end of their journey is not morbid. To me, these are all things that deepen my love and affection for those around me and hopefully for ourselves as well. You know, give yourself a bit of um, love there too and say, I would like this. It would make a difference to me to be remembered in a way that honors who I am. Mm. That's so true. It's so true. I've got so many questions. Um, Are you afraid of death? I'm afraid of pain. Yeah. I have a very, I'm very sensitive. I don't like the feeling of pain. But um, if I could have a pain-free death in a way where I don't feel humiliated or um, out of control or scared, you know, there are those things scare me. Um, I mm. think um, the things that I've se- the ways that I've seen people die, you know, in fear, mm. um, gasping for breath, saying that they're scared like that, witnessing that I find um, like I wouldn't want that for anyone. Um, but I think when I hear stories of, you know, people that are at peace and are not in pain um i don't necessarily want to be surrounded by lots of people i'm quite a private person as long as i'm in a clean comfortable space i don't mind being alone at mm. that time um so i don't know i think i think i have a fear around kind of maybe illness and pain mm. but i think when it comes to death i'm quite excited to know that like as soon as I die, I'll know what happens after you die. <laughs> oh my God, at last the question we've all been asking. I'm going to close my eyes and be like, oh my God, it's basically a kind of, um, you know, those amazing like water slides into the universe subconscious with like disco lights. Like, that would be so fun. Guess what, Poppy? That is true. <laughs> and yes, I, I have seen... No, that's actually a question on deathbed discs. <laughs> Whoa. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, 
So go on, is that what you think is in the afterlife? I love the idea, I guess, um, when people do, I mean, I hear a lot of people talk about energy and energy not dying and it going into the world and all of these kind of things. And um, and I I love that aspect that maybe not the physical parts of us, but the kind of spiritual, energetic parts of us continue. And I'm sure mm. many people who feel their loved ones with them and walking alongside them and um, we kind of feel that loving energy with us. So I'm, I'm hoping that um, it doesn't feel like a dark ultimate ending and that there is some kind of continuance. But, um, you know, who knows? Who knows what will happen? <laughs> who knows? Um, on that note, what is your third song? And please tell us why you've chosen it. My third song is Madness, It Must Be Love. Iconic. I am loving these tunes, by the way. Woo! This is just, it really reminds <laughs> me of my parents. It's just very of their time. And mm. this was always, this was always the song that came on and everyone would just kind of be dancing around with each other. It was just so romantic. And it's such, it's such a great song. Yeah, this is a good one for me. joy into our Tuesday evening. Have you seen the video? No, I haven't. It's it's a funeral. So there's there it's like um they're all dressed in black and one guy is like standing he's the camera is at the bottom of the grave and it's grave up and he's just singing it into the grave. <laughs> and and it, he's singing it must be love. It's basically like a really sexy madness funeral the video. I was like, "Whoa!" Oh my God, I don't know why I haven't seen this, but I have to go and see this after this. Have a look, because that is very good funeral inspo if you're going for like dramatic all in black funeral. Which is actually brings me on very nicely to my next question. What are we wearing at your funeral, Poppy? I would like, look, I get that colours are great. I get it. I understand it. Mm. But if we're going for high-end drama, if we're going for... For a black coffin with a white sharpie, a white chalk. Do you know what I mean? I would love people to wear black with one red item. Okay, wow, very specific. So it can be like the lipstick, it can be the shoes, it can be a scarf, it can be a hat. Um, Because I thought an all red... I love that. An all red funeral might be a little bit... (laughs) 
like a I little bit what, too too also, much. Also, like if I'm <laughs> saying to like my uncle, you've got to wear all red. He's not going to do it. I feel like also people would struggle with like wearing red. I don't think I have a full red outfit. Yes, exactly. So I didn't want everyone to struggle. So I'm going to say all black with some red in there. Um, That's so interesting. Do you know that in Spain, when it's New Year, it's good luck to wear one red item? <gasps> yeah, it tends to be underwear tends to be the thing. Like you have Ooh. to wear red underwear well, in order I to like go that. into the year with like good luck. And honestly, like I'll say like my friends be like, are you wearing anything like any red underwear? And I'll be like, oh God. And I remember once just like going to a shop and like buying like red knickers before New Year because I was like, I have to have good luck going into the next year. So it's funny you should mention that, but that is, there is a sort of tradition with that. Wow. Yeah, I'll have to say, you know, I hope that terrified feeling you have of buying a red item just flows through the guests at my funeral. Like, oh my God, red pants, that counts, right? I'll be like, yeah, you can wear red pants. You can wear anything you like. I mean, the beauty is you won't be there to say anything. Well, I'm writing it down now. (laughs) I'm writing it down. Um, At my dad's funeral, we um, just asked people to wear a piece of tartan um as he was a scottish man and um for anyone that didn't have that uh we had ribbons that we tied um up with safety pins that we could pin onto people who didn't have a piece of tartan on the day um and that was quite a lovely moment of kind of meeting everyone and saying mm. would you like a tartan pin if they didn't have um an item of tartan that they could find you know before the day so it was like this lovely way of kind of pinning something to remember dad onto each person and lots of people kept them. So it's quite nice to have um, some element that um, kind of ties everyone together, I think, in a way. I love that you've been, well, that you were able to create such a beautiful space with these little things and make it so personal and unique. And I think that, again, again, it's all about this work that hopefully will make people more more excited about the the potential idea of creating a funeral like that. You know, like I, um, I wouldn't say regret because I don't, I never like saying regret, but I do have a few regrets from my stepfather's funeral and not doing those things. Um, and I know now if someone close to me was to, was to pass away, I would try and include some of these elements because I think there's so much beauty in celebrating someone's life in such a way. It's hard if you're not seen as the person in charge is what yeah. I've realised with funerals. I feel like my dad had said, um, you know, I want, I want my wife and the girls to do it. Like he'd kind of given us permission to kind of Free go rain. all out and, yeah. you know, order the flowers. And all. we had big red buses with like tartan fabric at the front with his name and that, wow. That's what took everyone from the from the um, funeral to the wake, and um, all of his friends were like jumping on and off the buses to go and like see friends on Brick Lane, and then they're like, "We'll meet you there later." It was like it was so it was so nice to kind of have permission to remember somebody in the in that as extravagant way in my head that my dad impacted my life, I felt like I was able to recreate that in, in the remembering of him. 
But say if somebody else had planned that funeral in a way that was very different to my idea of it, I think I'd be still quite, you know, incomplete with um, with that. Because for me, it was a huge completion of who my dad was and and our love in saying goodbye to him. But I've been to funerals where people leave and they don't feel uh, better. They actually feel kind of heavier and like, God, that... That was so sad. That was so not them, you know? Mm. That's so true. I really like how you describe it in terms of like permission to make that funeral. Like I feel like as well, there's so much um, pressure perhaps around the quintessential funeral, which is supposedly, well, which is mostly known as something which is way more sad, I know, and like not so much this, so, so much so jovial. And I, I think you can, you have to really create that space to give yourself permission, but it's so freeing once you can. That kind of brings me on nicely to this question that I wanted to ask you, which is about how we can create rituals. And I think all these little things feed really nicely into that. Um, and something that um, I saw online that you spoke about creating rituals and as an artist yourself, I can see how that's so important. So how could, what rituals can we be creating to sort of commemorate those that are no longer here with us? Um, I love writing. I find writing or journaling kind of stream of thought memories about the person. Mm. Um, I sometimes, if it's an important date, I'll write dad a letter, take it somewhere and burn it so that it kind of goes up in flames and the ashes and I feel like that's my post box to heaven or wherever he is you know that no one will ever see what I wrote on that piece of paper apart from somebody who isn't here so that for me has been um something that I enjoy doing my friends tease me they're like oh my god what if the fire gets out of hand oh my god calm down you know so um (laughs) and then I guess it's it's including them at events. I'm quite extreme, I would say, and some people might find this um, a bit much, but like on Father's Day, my family were having a big meal, all my cousins and aunts and uncles, and I I bought the little pot of my dad's ashes um, and I just put it on the shelf and I was like, well, you know, dad's here He's now. He's here with me, yeah. <laughs> He's just here. And they were all laughing and just being like, oh my God, Poppy, of course you would. And I was like, <laughs> but it, it led us into conversations of remembering dad, which on a day like Father's Day, um, you suddenly feel like, oh my God, this day's not for me anymore. I can no longer participate in Father's Day. But actually, if you, um, you know, cook a meal that they liked, if you... Yeah. So in lockdown, it was the uh, anniversary of dad's death. I think it was the five-year anniversary. And I thought, oh my God, we're full on lockdown. I don't know what to do. Um, And I just emailed his friends and family and said, do you have any stories about dad that you could share with me? Do you have any photos that you'd be happy to share? So then on the anniversary, I had like five or six emails that I was opening and reading about funny stories that I had no idea about, you know. That's so lovely. We don't know about our Mm. parents' whole lives. There's so much of their life that was before I was even born. So um, I guess depending where you are emotionally, on some days that would be too much for me. Um, But I knew that I was really craving, um, I was craving some like 
dad vibes um, that specific time. Other times I just listen to songs that remind me of him and have a cry, like lying on the floor and mm. just give myself permission to surrender and look bad. I think a lot of us are taught that we mustn't cry, that we mustn't break this mask of being okay. Whereas when I lie on the floor and cry and my makeup is running... You look beautiful. There, there is like, <laughs> there is this thing of, it's okay to mm. ugly be in your grief, to roll around in it, to to feel it. There's a few songs that I know if I play them, I will get to like an uncontrollable sob at some point. So if I feel like, God, I really haven't tapped into my grief in the last six months, it might be time to have an ugly oh, yeah. cry. Um, and again, I just reconnect to that sad place, which um, as my grief has developed further and further from the traumatic event of it happening, I have, I don't break down in the same way that I did when it all fell on top of me, but I still want to be in touch with my sadness because yeah. that is, you know, the other side of of love is is our grief. So um, I think it's important to, and if you want to schedule that time, schedule it. Be like for an hour on Tuesday evening, I'm going to listen to that song that makes me cry mm. because I know no one's going to call me, no one's coming over. Like if you're organized like that, you can do that too. So funny you say that. I've done that before and I've actually even said to myself, oh my God, is this really like sad to just actually go through Spotify and be like, I actually really want to listen to that song and have a good old cry. I'm like, is this yeah. really weird that I'm like, you know, wanting to do this? But then I do realize the benefit in doing that. And it gives you that space for connection as well to kind of take you back. Because as we know, grief is so weird and time is so weird, like five years, 10 years, 20 years, three months, like it, it just has this way of completely, um, you know, collapsing these these time barriers, these time constraints. And so music is, yeah, yeah, inception. Um, it's like, this is, um, music's, yeah, music's such a good way to channel that. Funny that on deathbed discs, <laughs> wink, wink. Um, so please tell us the name of your next song and why you've chosen it, Poppy. Um, so the next one is Everybody's Free by Quindon Tarver, which I guess is from the iconic Romeo and Juliet film that was the soundtrack to all of our lives if you grew up at that time. And this bit just always made me cry, like his voice, the kind of break in his voice, the fact that he's a child and he sings with such power. Um, I just absolutely love this song. It always takes me back. Everybody's free. Together we 
been hurting, but I've been waiting to be there for you. And I'll be there just helping you out whenever I Poppy, that was glorious. That was a real flashback as well. I haven't heard that song in such a long time and it's such a banger. It's when they get married. So it's the kind of beautiful, emotional culmination Mm, of mm. the love and it's tragic ending that we know is coming. It's just so perfect. So I absolutely love that and love his voice. Yeah, I love it. This whole conversation, this whole time with you, um, which is so far has been so wonderful and it's hard for me to imagine that you were a person that couldn't talk about this. Isn't it weird? And now I can't yeah. stop. It's like the font has, has exp- <laughs> the lid is it's like officially you've off. the death gremlin and now you're just unstoppable. <laughs> Unleash the death gremlin is my next t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be. I think you should do like a little illustration or Unleash like a design the for de- it. The thing is, other people find it like really not funny. So um, yeah, I, know. I have to be sensitive. But um, between you and I, unleash the death gremlin. Unleash the death gremlin. I wonder, has your transformation, and I call it a transformation because I thoroughly believe that there's been an incredible transformation there. Um, how has that led into the grief case or how has... Or was that the also, I know, I I would imagine it would have gone the other way. But um, yeah, I guess, how has your transformation or your beautiful flourishing, uh, shall we say, um, fed into the grief case? I guess when I started to feel very panicked and low, Mm. I knew that I cannot be the only person who has experienced this. Um, I knew people around me who'd lost people. I'd never spoken to them about it. And I just thought I have to, it was like an urgency. I have to hear other people. How did they get through this? How did they experience this? Did they feel nothing and then suddenly something? And then, so um, I guess the grief case started as as a meeting of um, about six of us in my living room. And I invited people to my flat um, to talk about uh, those that they had lost. Um, I asked them to bring a reading or a poem or something that described their feeling or something that they'd written. Um, and we just like, I realized how important and powerful it was when I was opening the door and people were in tears already. Mm. Um, and how unspoken maybe in my group that it had been or that I had been about it, um, you know, there were people that I hadn't really looked them in the eyes and said, like, what was that like for you? I, I never asked you before. I thought I thought I would upset you by asking you. I genuinely thought that. And um, to suddenly kind of take the lid off how what our experiences had been and um, 
the grief case started by me posting what we had been reading at those sessions. So um, poems around grief, uh, poems that we'd written, uh, articles that we'd found. And it was a way of kind of having a little library online of, of these things that, um, that meant something to us. And as the meetings grew and uh, couldn't do it in my flat anymore and people I didn't know started coming, um, it got to the point where people were sending us their writing to, to post, um, even though they maybe haven't, hadn't been to one of the meetups. Um, and for wow. me, there was just a huge comfort in the range of stories and the range of, I was like, oh my God, everyone reacts differently. There are so many differences and so many universal similarities mm. that I just felt hugely comforted. Like, I was like, God, I didn't have that experience, but she had that same thing as me. And um, just to know that so many people had been through a loss, um, you know, people that were the same age as me, people that were losing parents. And then suddenly I found out all about, you know, um, people who were losing people in different ways, people that were losing children, people that were losing siblings. And I thought, oh my God, I was so blinkered about what mm. grief was. In my mind, it was like, of course, this is not true. But in my mind, acceptable grief was like losing a parent to cancer. Yeah. Like that was very normal. And then when I realized people were losing children, people were losing people to suicide, you know, even within the grief world, there was taboo things that people, even within grief, find it hard to talk about, about suicide, about addiction, about mm. um, murder, about car crashes, you know, all of these things. Um, and I thought, oh my God, like, this is so much bigger than me. <laughs> like, yeah. I kind of got to take myself out of the extremity of my own pain by just realizing it's not just me. Like we're all dealing with this. And I felt weirdly comforted by the fact that I wasn't alone um, mm. and that I could listen. And so much of my healing has simply been to listen to other people's stories and in those moments, I get to put my grief aside. I, obviously, it's there every other second of the day. But when you listen to other people's grief story, you make space for them and your heart goes to them. And then when they finish and you say thank you, you know, your own grief rushes back in again. But it, it almost gave me a bit of time away from, from that all-consuming um, grief that I was dealing with after losing dad. It's that piece as well, like we're not used to um, just listening. We find it really difficult to just listen. And we find it difficult to just listen and not put ourselves in the next sentence. Mm. Part of the work of a, I feel like you're like a soul midwife already, Poppy, but without <laughs> even knowing it. Oh, maybe I am. <laughs> I, I truly think you are. But, um, you know, part of the work of soul midwifery and, and end of life doula, it's just to listen. Like deep listening, it's called when you just actively listen. And it's way more difficult than it sounds. And it's way more complex than it sounds, but it's holding space. And we don't do that often enough. And when you do do that, what you see is so beautiful and so full of life and so um, amazing for that person and so necessary. 
just just to be heard and and to be and and to be able to speak your truth without anyone trying to interrupt you or put their own life into it you know or which we do so it, normally fix because it is the big thing stop crying stop crying don't mm. worry don't worry they wouldn't want you to be sad you know that is our obsessing our, oh they wouldn't want you to be sad is such a classic <laughs> one isn't it you know our obsessive fixing ways as a culture um i think when you find a space where like the most powerful thing i found in our meetups is when someone just cries and they breathe in and they breathe out and then they start talking again and because nobody tried to shut them up or you know don't worry this is making me uncomfortable it's okay, it's okay. they 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 move through it on their own and mm. after that they just needed to let that bit out of course of course you need to cry when you're talking about losing loved one or loved ones plural um you know we we've been through a lot us grieving people so to almost say they wouldn't want you to be sad is is denying that for me slightly so um just allowing whatever comes up just to be to let it is is actually quite rare to find um in these in these times of kind of fixing and controlling that we live in and that's why the meetups that you do are so amazing to give that space to people and death cafes as well they're brilliant because they allow for that to happen and it's so beneficial to everybody i love it when i'm when i'm in one of those as well I wish I could have gone to one of your meetups. Oh, well, they're every month. Come join us. Okay, I will. I definitely will. I'll be at the next one. So, Poppy, we're coming to the end of Deathbed Discs, which is the start of a new beginning, as some might say. Um, what is your last song? And please tell us why you've chosen it. So this would be technically your last song when the coffin's leaving. Yeah, Am so I right this, this is going to be the song kind of at the end that gives everyone the good vibe this is this is a song that me and my mum used to dance on the table to in the kitchen um I don't know what it means I don't know anything about it all I know is that Tammy Wynette has an amazing voice it's KLF Justified and Ancient If there was a visual representation for the afterlife before it's happened, I feel like that might be it. The video for that, for those listening, is 
cosmic, insane, and exactly what life is, like Poppy just mentioned. I think it's glorious. Thank you for bringing that on. That is fine. <laughs> We are all bound for Moo Moo Land. See you guys there. <laughs> death Gremlins. <laughs> In our Death Gremlins tea. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Poppy, we're coming up to the end of Deathbed Discs. How would you like to be remembered? Oh my God, how would I like to be remembered? God. Um, I guess as someone who now realizes I can't control everything, I guess I'm going to be remembered how I'm going to be remembered, right? Mm. But if I could choose, <laughs> um, I guess I, you know, loving, kind, funny, open-hearted. Um, I would like to be remembered for, for my good traits and also that I can be a giant bitch and lazy <laughs> and all those other things that make me up. You know, we are multifaceted and I don't want people to step over the darker sides of who I am when they're remembering yeah. me. Like, I want people to also be like, you know, she was difficult. She was mm. she was a control freak. She was specific. She was whatever. Um, and I think and she's made as well one piece of red clothing, and I don't have any red. Pieces yes, exactly. Of and now I've had to go and buy red pair of Poppy. shoes, and I'm never going to wear these shoes again or whatever. <laughs> But um, I think it's important to remember people as they were for you. And that will be different for everybody. For some yeah. people, I may be kind. For some people, I may be difficult. For you know, for other people, I'll be a yeah. mixture of things. And um, I think it's important that we don't deny our humanity when we're remembering people. And you know, at, at my dad's funeral, people spoke about his difficult parts. And actually, there was a, there was a sudden ease in the room yeah. when they acknowledge. You know. He was a big drinker. But it's so true. He, was, yeah. he, was, oh, he could be difficult. He could be... And suddenly everyone relaxed because you don't have to pretend. You don't have to pretend that they were the best person ever. So mm. I guess I would like to be remembered authentically, like for who I was for, the, for those people. Um, there are things I'd like to float to the top of that, but, you know, <laughs> that I can't control it. I can't control it. no. I love that. And it's so true. I think that part around authenticity and well, more so how different and unique it will be for each person. And that's just the beauty of life, mm. really. Mm. Um, and what you mean for every person and what your dad meant for everybody that was there. Yeah. And I completely echo that sentiment because sometimes my mom will, will be like, oh, you know, he wasn't all that great. And I'm like, I know, mom, it's okay. Like he was, he was we're, we're all frustrating and annoying at yes. times and yeah. can, be, can get angry. And, you know, we're not perfect. And, you know, we're not all that great all the time. And we can't be great and that's all the time. When you love somebody through that and you exactly. embrace... That's unconditional love. Yeah, and you embrace their humanity of being imperfect. That's yeah. where the depth of of our love for those people is. So um, actually in, in acknowledging our imperfections, you're just loving us that little bit deeper, I think. I love that so much. Thank you for bringing that thought today because I'm so glad we finished on that as well because it's a beautiful one. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So um, yeah, thank you, Poppy. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I really, really enjoyed it. And I cannot wait to join one of your meetups. 
And um, yeah, thank you again, honestly. Thank, thank you. you. Thank <laughs> you. Discs. Thank you for tuning in to Deathbed Discs. It's been a pleasure to have you with us and I really hope you can listen to the next one. If you'd like to write in about anything that we've talked about on the show or even want to send us your own song choices, you can email us at deathbeddiscs at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at deathbeddiscs. This show has been produced by Audio Commune and sponsored by Aura. And lastly, don't forget to tune into our Spotify Deathbed Discs playlist where you can listen to all the songs in their full, uncut and beautiful glory. Until next time, take care and see you soon. Mm-hmm.